Welcome to the Coded Switch podcast, a deep discussion about the experience of intersectionality and vulnerability as it relates to wellness. Hosted by Dr. Galanega Machisa and told to the psychologist. Welcome back to our recording podcast with uh, told to the psychologist and Dr. G at the Coded Switch. Hello, hello. <laughs> We're at another episode yet again, talking about all things related to the experience of brown professional women. Um, intersectionality is the popular word for it, but what does it mean to you uh, in terms of what we're going to talk about today? Uh, yeah, so I think we I think we went into this in the, in the last uh, podcast about what intersectionality means to each one of us, but. Just to you know highlight it again, it's it's really sort of the experience of different avenues of um, of being as it relates to, you know, as, as many different identities as, as a person can, can count off there, you know, yeah. related to gender, related to race, ethnicity, um, age, you name it. And, and sort of what ex- each one of those experiences, um, ends up teaching a person and, and making them understand of, about the world and where they fit into it and navigating each one of those uh, sort of identities. It's weird to call it an identity, but an identity trait, let's put it, let's say maybe, um, right? Because we are one identity. I don't mean to sound like we're like fractured identities um, <clears throat> in the diseased kind of way, but uh, identity traits is more appropriate and sort of navigating all of those different traits and knowing which one fits in where. And I guess I'm getting into code switching now, but um but sort of that's what intersectionality is in my opinion well here's what i want to talk about i want to know like as a brown for me as a brown woman growing up in australia i've had a lot of experiences you know as a professional within my family and sometimes they're the experiences we don't talk about i was listening to the ceo of pepsico and she was talking about, and she's like South Asian kind of Indian mm-hmm. background. But she was mm-hmm. talking about how when she became the CEO, she was going to call her family and be like, hey, mum, I'm now the CEO of PepsiCo. And her mum was like, listen, can you get some milk when you come home <laughs> uh, on the way from, you know, the local supermarket? And you can be a CEO out there, but we need milk and you need to come home right now. And yeah. so she was talking yeah. about how for a moment that sort of burst her bubble. And it's interesting because there's so many other families where maybe you might be revered in public um, for right. you know achieving all these accolades, but does it always necessarily be that way? Does it always work in you know in your favour? Um, and I think I don't know. I can speak in terms of my experience. It's not always necessarily the case. It's like yes, you can yeah. be famous out there, but at home you're still you. So you need to help. Quite, with yeah, you need can help I, with let me siblings. let me probe you on that. Would you like? to be sort of, you know, have that dynamic in your personal relationships where you there, because I feel like it adds a, a, a bit of distance, you know, to have that, um, you know, that reverence and right, that you experience sort of outside of, in your public role, right? Would you have, mm. and I know like it's, it's, you're sort of, you know, comparing one experience right next to another. And like, it, it can literally happen over the span of an hour where you're in your professional role and then you come home and it's drastically different, yeah. but would it, yeah. would you, is that something that, um, you feel like it, um, I, I guess it's not, I mean, not that you would necessarily like that to happen or does it take away 
from either one mm. of those experiences, like to not be revered that way in the home or in, in personal relationships or what do you think? I think my family is pretty respectful when it comes to, you know, offering your professional opinion in situations, but not, I think the problem can become more apparent when I guess, you know, you're trying to navigate issues and that professionalism takes away from the relationship. I think when it yeah. adds to the relationship, it's better. So you imagine, you know, being a physiotherapist, say, for example, and your parents are like, yes, come and sort of manipulate all of these body parts of mine. But then when you're like, mum, look, I think maybe you might want to consider, you know, adjusting your health and your food. They're like, what are you talking about? Go away. Don't yeah. want to talk about this conversation. Yeah. So I think trying to balance that is like really important. I think, though, honestly, I found in my experience that the the professionalism part that can be really tricky sometimes is that as a female um, mm -hmm. growing up, I think women were more uh, – yeah. Women in our cultures were put in more of a bubble in terms of what was socially acceptable and what wasn't. And so really where I found the impact was not yeah. so much in my internal family relationships, but it was more like trying to forge intimate relationships with people, you know, in my yeah. community. So, you know, there's a generation of women who are becoming highly educated because that was the only socially acceptable thing to do. Of While course. a lot of the men in my community growing up in the 80s, as soon as they arrived in Australia, there was this pressure on them to either perform or they're going to be the breadwinners of the family. So they ended up right. going into more <clears throat> labor-based work. Yeah, and so yeah. you ended up having like 15, 20 years later, all these women who were just told basically stay home. The only social acceptable thing you can do is go to school. So you go mm -hmm. and you do, you know, your, your bachelor's, your master's, your PhD, and then you're like, okay, Okay, well, now I'm ready. And you look around and you're like, oh, oh, this is really bad. And yeah. people think it's yeah. you know, an element of pride and it's not. And I yeah. think that's something um, that I found personally in my experience. It, not to say that I wouldn't, I wouldn't be with a man who wasn't educated to the right, same right, level yeah. I was, but yeah. definitely there's a difference, um, I guess, in perspective. <laughs> yeah. Cause, and I'm not talking, there are so many men who didn't go to uni, right? Necessarily, yeah. but they're yeah. successful. They're running their own businesses. They're doing their right. own thing, which is That's just right. as powerful. But I think definitely in terms of their, if anything, sometimes it does contribute to that disconnect sometimes sure. when you're trying to connect with people. Sure. I think that it gets, what's at the heart of that is, so, is, is something that sort of it spans all of, of life experience in the sense that human beings generally, we often like the idea of something, but not necessarily the actual, you know, practical, what it means to live that out. Right. Okay, yeah. Amen so, to that. <laughs> it's the, right. Like it's, I mean, so many things that you name it, there's, there's no shortage of, of things that, you know, cause we tend to, we, we have, forethought about things before we we bring them into fruition usually so you can fall in love with the idea of what it, you know what it would be like to um you know for let's say like and i don't want to speak for men but you know it, if a man is thinking of their the ideal partner uh, you know they would like a, a woman who knows what she's about and you know it has a good head on her shoulders is educated and it comes with some price tags, right? To that, that, that <laughs> we're going to be honest, right? So it's like liking and really liking, uh, the idea of, of, you know, and maybe it's more so to like satisfy the ego or, you know, what it means to have a woman like that or be with a woman like that, or you name it all of it. But what it takes 
to to be with a human being. Let's not even you know assign gender to with a human being who has experienced, um, you know, challenging themselves, overcoming obstacles. It's going to come with a lot of mental fortitude, uh, and it's mm. it's something that is like you said. It's sort of that is something a trait that is attributed very easily to men, um, and and sort of is is a very they're very masculine masculine um, traits. If we were sort of to like break down, you know, uh, be it agreeableness or um, tenderness or right, if we had like all these terms listed out and, and said like, is this masculine or feminine? Those would be masculine by most people's definitions. And so very easily ascribed to men, not, it's harder, it's a harder pill to swallow uh, mm. when it's exhibited by, by a woman, right? Um, but we I know that. And, yeah. and sometimes we end up, like, I find sometimes, and this is where you come to being, I guess, sometimes in, in the professional journey of going to uni and you see all of these people and you talk and you've got to stand up for yourself and you're overcome with all these things. And then you come back into your family, your community, your relationships. And then you're like, okay, am I still allowed to be that, you know, that flower that blooms or am I sort of trying to hold back so that I can maintain relations with my family? And that I think for me, navigating that has been really tricky. Like, you yeah. know, um, what do you tend to you do? Go out Can I ask you? What yeah. do you tend to do? Like what actually happens? Do you, do you sort of shrink a little bit well, it depends you know. on the situation like so, sometimes yeah. I, I don't want to come across as a know-it-all even though i'm like oh, i've seen this a hundred times <laughs> yeah. i also need to recognize that i've been on a journey to recognize that and i need to yeah. recognize that within my community within my family and yeah. it's finding a way to elevate people with the information that you know rather than being like yeah. this is what i know this is what I, and sometimes it can come across that way so you end up really like you know, um, overthinking things, wondering whether yeah. you should contribute something or keep quiet. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, as a brown professional, particularly as a Muslim woman, I've mm -hmm. always had to think twice about, am I going to contribute in a way that's actually helpful, that I believe is helpful, but people are not ready for that yet. Right. How do you navigate that? And I think a yeah. good way to do that is really coming back to intentionality. Why is mm -hmm. it that you're bringing up this topic? And often I share with people why I'm bringing up what I am rather than what it is they actually might want to hear from me. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fantastic. I mean, I think uh, what I tend to do in my approach to that is I, I tend to remain quiet until I'm, I'm prompted. Right. I, 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 it, which is not necessarily good because there, I, I, there is a lot to offer in, in my experience and probably would benefit if I just w would you know, share it. And I'm so cautious of coming off, like you said, as a know-it-all or as, you know, offering advice that's not necessarily welcome and being very sensitive to, you know, how it might be received more so than the potential good, right? The potential uh, benefit that it can have. And so I I usually, what I tend to do is is just to wait in, until I'm asked. And, and a lot of times that doesn't happen because there, of course there are apprehensions on other people, right? Like, should I ask? Like, should I, right? Like, Ugh, you know, yeah. right. And so you can, you can break that glass, at, um, at, you know, or, or break that ice, I should say, I guess it's more appropriate if you just share it, right? Like, as opposed to, so it's not great what I do, but it's a, it's a form of self-censorship. Um, mm. of, you know, no, hearing something, knowing that like, oh man, I've got something valuable to say here. Um, mm -hmm. but you know, just being cautious about like, 
I don't know, they might not be ready. They maybe they don't, they're not in a space that they can hear that right now or don't know how to, like how to interpret that or integrate it. Or, um, so it's, it's not great, but that's, I was just more so answering the question that I asked you as to Mm. what I tend to do. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess, you know what I want to know? Yeah. Where do you, where do you strike that? I guess what I want to know is where do you draw that line with, okay, this is something that I need to speak up for, you know, within family situations. Like people talk about, you know, um, being brown, being a person of color, but I'm wondering whether in your family and friends you've experienced things that are like, you know, they're being racist. Like they don't like being racist, but they're being racist themselves. Or they say, oh, we, we need free for all. We need human rights for everyone. Oh, but they're just so, and then out comes the sexism, the racism. And you're like, is this this my friends? I didn't know we were friends. (laughs) It's hard. It's hard. It gets to that group think. And, you know, even in real time, not wanting to upset uh, a dynamic, right? Like it's, that's, it gets to why somebody would say something in a moment versus not. Um, It's tough. I'll be, I mean, I, I've, I've definitely been there and experienced that with people in, in, you know, circles where it's like, that's, you know, I don't know how healing that attitude is and helpful for, you know, for the collective. And, um, here's what I want to know. Here's what I want to know. How does it show up? How does it show up in clinic? when you're seeing a patient oh, and man. they're like, I'm not going to take, like, you know, th- the advice sounds great, but they're just not going to take it or their family won't be cool with it. Like, is it a family planning? Is it like, I don't know what it is, but like, I'm curious to know how that might show up. Like, do you, you know, um, do you offer more time to women? Do you offer them different perspectives to men? Like when they, you know, when people come to you saying, okay, yeah. like, this is an issue that they're facing. Like, how do you help them navigate in terms of, yeah what they might face in terms of their relationships, whether it's their yeah. family or otherwise. I mean, I, this is, that's an excellent question. And actually in my, in my career, I'm, I'm really starting to embrace this aspect of the healing journey with, with my, and realizing, I, I mean, it's, it's not realizing it's embracing more so, because I think I realized this a long time ago that there's an aspect of, um, being that is sort of like fundamental to everything else. And that is our, our experience, our thoughts, our ideas, our beliefs, they inform what, you know, literally the, the, the mood, the reactions that you have in real time, which will affect your physiology. Um, it's just not usually, it's definitely not a part of the conventional approach, like the toolbox that, that is, that exists in the conventional approach to wellness and health and, you know, medical care. Um, but you really, I mean, unless you're having that conversation with, with people, it's, it's fractured. What it, what it ends up being is fractured where you go to your doctor for what's going on physically. You go see a psychiatrist or a therapist or a psychologist for what's going on emotionally, mentally, right? Like all of those other things. Um, it just, and I mean, and then the other part of that is usually it's, it's rare that those, two specialties or those two um, modalities are, are collaborating, right? To come up with, with a collective solution for somebody's health and wellness. Uh, yeah. And so it ends up becoming fractured where even like in the thinking is like, okay, this is, this has to do with how you are emoting and how you're thinking. So that's, we can't get into that. Let's talk about what's going on with your 
energy level. Yeah. Yeah. But you really can't get anywhere substantial unless you are having that conversation every single time you engage with a patient about, you know, almost like what what, what might feel like a therapy session. Um, Now, in the type of medicine that I practice. Oh, sorry. I just cut you off. No, go for it. I I have heard this idea. Maybe you can talk to it. The difference between being a doctor and doctoring people. So like sometimes people come to the doctor, not because they've got a problem, but they just need to be doctored. Like, yes, you're fine. You can breathe. Wow. Your blood pressure is amazing. And like, your heart is very strong. Yes. There's a lot (laughs) of reassuring that goat that happens. And sometimes, I mean, that actually speaks to, oh man, we're really, I know this is not what we were necessarily planning to get into, but we, (laughs) <laughs> it gets into a huge, huge aspect of um, how people even understand their health these days, right? As far as the Can we fact talk that, about that? Yes, let's that? do how it. People understand their health. It's Go fundamental it. because I think you know, with the advent of of Western medicine, obviously, when when things were still very traditional, you had you you had to understand what was going on with you because you know there might be you know shaman or or um you know a, a, a medicine man or some or somebody with knowledge who's but by and large they they weren't local you had to maybe travel to, so there was a lot of knowledge within the community about health and wellness and what it took to be mm-hmm. to be well what it took yep. to heal from sickness and illness it it was disseminated now i mean with the advent of western medicine and the conventional model there what has come with you know people becoming experts right that have a title who've become experts and understood physiologically understanding the body how how things go wrong right like how to how to quote unquote treat that how to treat it right which with the conventional approach is more so managing symptoms than actually like treating and uh, reversing um, disease processes, but it, it's it's more so to speak to what happened along with that is the power that people had over their own health was started to be shaved away. It was shaven away and taken away. So there's a lot of disempowerment um, that people have in even how they think about their health and wellness. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We jump from we jump from community to here's all the science, and now like we need to find this balance. You and you need to go to someone to tell you find. how your own body is working and how what, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to honestly, if I if I'll just lay it out there, some of the most critical diagnoses that I've ever made is because I put away like just you know I'm I'm seeing all the signs pointing to the the way something should be adding up for me, but it's not adding up for me, and putting that you know, hanging that on the wall and just listening. Give me an example. Absolutely. So uh, this is um, a few years ago now. This is uh, a job that I had right out of residency. And I um, was seeing a patient um, actually of a colleague. And and so, you know, and that happens very commonly. And so this wasn't a patient that was known to me, but um, just needed to get in with someone. So came to see me and, you know, I was reviewing, reviewing notes is usually what you do, like seeing what you're what your colleague had um, thought about, like this is a complaint that they were had presented for several what was times. The complaint? Is abdominal pain, abdominal. Okay, pain. what happened? And so you know, had all the the, the workups and um, workup, you know, imaging and and other tests and things were 
up to that point inconclusive mm-hmm. as far as like the, the etiology or the cause of what that pain was. Um, and so, what you know, happened? <laughs> yeah, let's talk about, um, and so just by, you know, I'm looking at all this data, I'm like, okay, they, they got the million dollar workup. I, I'm not really sure where else to go with this. So I just, I turned, you know, I was like, okay, let me just listen what's going on. Um, you know, the explanation of, of what they were, and I don't know, remember the specifics now about the, the complaints that they were still having. Um, but a, a big part of it was like feeling something in their abdomen when they would bend over. And mind you, they had, they did have abdominal imaging in the past that, that wasn't, that didn't show anything. So, but of course you have to think of things in time points, like, okay, at that time point, it didn't show something. Could there be a process that in the meantime has developed that would maybe now show up as something? So a big thing, you know, part of it was just listening to what the patient had to say. Um, the fact that like experiencing the sensation when they would bend over. And so just thinking just like physics, what, what's going on when you're bending over, you're, you're losing real estate in your abdomen, right? You're compressing things. So if something is likely occupying space in the abdomen, right? And so doing an exam was also helpful because there, there was a, and I would imagine that in prior exams, when you know abdominal exams didn't man didn't show anything didn't reveal anything because to me when i examined the patient it was obvious i mean i have never you don't often feel a spleen right it's really hard to feel a spleen on exam unless it's enlarged but oh man i mean a first year medical student or even like a pre-med student could have felt this it was that significant so um, and of course, you know, like, okay, yeah, we've got to get you imaging, you know, we did the, the stat imaging and, and had a huge mass, a huge mass. Mm. It turned out to be cancerous. Um, wow. and, yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, I went and followed up cause it wasn't, you know, my patient. So I didn't do the, the subsequent follow-up, but I did, you know, peek in to see, you know, what had happened, um, after the imaging was, uh, revealed that there was this mass and yet, I mean, straight into chemo, straight into like, the kid, right. And, and he actually did come back to see me six months later. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he had lost weight and he, he's, uh, you know, he, he lost his hair and, and things like that, but he was just so appreciative for, you know, like just, just listening, just listening to like, mm-hmm. something's not right, you know, and, and uh, more often than not, that's where, when you listen to people telling you about what they're experiencing in their bodies, but oftentimes when, you know, the, the unfortunate thing about the conventional model is that we have a specific toolbox with specific tools in it. And if yes. what a person is describing or complaining of, if it can't be remedied or, or uh, diagnosed by the tools in our toolbox, we often, you know, you sort of like they get a shoulder shrug. Like we don't we don't know why that's happening. Um, and this and is one so of that the they're also problem. very disempowering. Right. It's yeah. like all right, well, if I must be making this up and then I guess in my mind or right. And, um, and this yeah. is, this is like, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's more pronounced in communities of color in particular. I remember yeah. feeling partly shocked when I was reading about, do you remember when Serena Williams was giving birth to her daughter? I don't know mm-hmm. if you know much. Yeah. So, you know, for oh, those yes. who don't know, like Serena Williams, you know, she's what a champion, like tennis player on best in the world, best ever. Yes she was giving birth to a daughter and had all these symptoms that were not showing up on anything, but she didn't feel good. Like she right. was complaining. And finally, uh, and everyone was sort of minimizing all of her, her pains, her symptoms. And then eventually 
She was like, I am Serena Williams. I'm demanding this particular, whatever it is they needed, this particular screening tool for her. And sure yeah. enough, she was, she had a brain aneurysm or was about to have one. I think I she think had was, one. I think it was a, she had a pulmonary embolism. That's that right. Blood clot in her lungs, which is, it can be fatal. Mm. It can be fatal. Absolutely. And I mean, thank God that she had the platform to use her identity, right? Like in the fact that she's well known and to, to be able to strong arm her way, which is just wild to have to think that, you know, you have to strong arm your way into getting the medical care that you need. This is a well-known fact. I mean, I know this is not where we're necessarily going today, but well-known we fact. Should. We're talking about color. health, right? We, we, should, we need to go there. Like, what, yeah. like, how do you navigate? Like, we're talking about health. And I think the most important tool in that toolbox mm -hmm. you were talking about is the listening. There's no listening Absolutely. or not enough listening. And you just have to Absolutely. kind of convince how many situations and stories where things are lost in translation or it's not taken serious enough. Your pain is not really that painful. You should be able to handle it that's more. A, um, that's a big part of the disempowerment as far as when we were, you know, going back to what's saying about like how people understand their health and wellness. By and large, the majority of people have the understanding that someone else must tell me what my body is doing, right? Like they're, we're very disempowered and it's sort of like trusting our sim trusting what we're feeling, knowing that there, you know, there, there is a reason for it. It cannot, if, the, if there is a sensation, even if it is short lived and may never return again, there was a reason in that time why that symptom happened. Right. It's yeah, just it's that power dynamic that you might even mention it and it just doesn't get listened to or it doesn't get hurt. Yeah, I very mom was sick yeah. in hospital years ago now and they were treating her really badly and like making her like she, she was a nuisance and she was just like being. You say this is your mom? My mom, yeah. So mom. they were like, you know, I felt very uncomfortable the way they were treating her. So I wanted to advocate for her. And she literally told me off in front of the doctors. And then after they left, I'm like, why would you do that? And she said, Your mom you told you off? Yeah. Because she, she was like, you know, they might give me the wrong medicine. They might do something like you need to like back off, let them do what they need to do. Like my mom is a highly educated woman who's very like confident oh and capable of speaking. But when you become sick, you become really vulnerable. You kind of not the same person that you were before. And so fair yes, enough, like, I understood that. And, you know, I, I was very vocal, so I can understand why she might have asked me to tone it down a bit. Mm -hmm. But you know, there's this reality. Well, how is she being, can I ask you about, like, how was she being treated? Like, what was going on? Uh, like, she was complaining of pain, and they were like, yeah, you'll be yeah. fine. No, you'll be right. Just give it some oh. more time. Like, they just well, weren't giving her pain. That's, that's something that's well documented as well. It's unfortunate that there, it's, it happens enough that it can be studied and documented, but pain scores are notoriously, you know, pain is notoriously underscored in people of color across the board, men and women, but even more so in, in women. Um, okay. As a psychologist, so I'm a, like, yeah. I know I'm a psychologist now, but I did work in hospitals for a very long time. Yeah. And one thing I've found that, you know, I think helps is, and look, and you can feel free as I'm, I'm not a medical doctor, but I'm going to share something that I, that I think worked and maybe you can talk to it as well. You know, what do you do when your doctor's not listening to you? What do you do when the nurses are not listening to you? And I think a really good way is getting them to document what they're not doing. So like if you're saying, I'm in pain, I'd like painkillers, and they I say can... no, yes. or they say you can wait it out a bit, you can say, all right, well, can you please document that you've refused my request for pain medication? And they can, yes. and, look, and they may still not give it to you, but I tell you they'll think twice. 
Let me let me tell you what I lived. Let me tell you what I lived at. I think I we talked about in one of the earlier podcasts about my experience in in pregnancy and having to have that emergency surgery. Right, that what you had abdominal surgery while you were pregnant. While I was pregnant, um, I had to strong arm my doctor into that. I, I had to. I actually had to get on the phone with the doctor and speak to them in doctor talk. Right. Like I had to lay it out for them. Like I'm having, why should you do that as a patient? It's crazy. It's crazy. And I mean, I'm lucky just like Serena Williams was lucky to have the platform and the, you know, to use her, you know, leverage her, her notoriety and her, uh, you know, her fame to be able to get something to happen. I leveraged my degree and was able Mm. to, I knew the way that a doctor would think, especially a surgeon. Right. And and I leveraged that. And I just I said, you know, I I, basically what ended up happening was I had I went into through the emergency department because I was having tremendous pain. They stabilized me, got the pain, you know, uh, to a manageable level anyway, Um, did initial imaging that didn't show that was inconclusive for the cause of that pain. But admitted me, that's the right thing. Right. They admitted me for observation. And in that time during observation, my pain skyrocketed, right? So this is wow. this is medicated, right? And so, um, and then there was like actually an acute episode where I, I moved and I don't think to this day I've ever experienced that kind of pain in my life. I'm so sorry. That is bad. It, it would have been easy to believe that death was on the other side of that pain, right? It was that yeah. significant. And so, and I mean, I yelled out, the nurse was there, my mom was there, she's a nurse too. Um, and, um, you know, like everybody was alarmed, like clearly something had changed. And so the nurse had called several times to, you know, the doctor who was, who was on call, they weren't on the floor or anything, but to just be like, Hey, you know, we're, she's getting the, the, the doses that she's been prescribed and the pain is still escalating. What's going on? You know, it got to be, I think, I mean, I was, I went to the ER in the morning. I think it was like maybe nine or 10 PM or maybe, maybe a little wow. earlier than that. Cause I think I went for the, the second Im- set, uh, the second imaging, uh, at that time, but I had to, in the evening, it was just continuing. So I had to, the, the phone, the nurse was on the phone right next to my bed with the doctor. And, and I was like, you know what, obviously like this is, a, there's a power dynamic there. You are a nurse talking to a doctor, right? I understand how that can go, unfortunately, but I do. And mm. so I was like, you know what? Let me just talk to him. And I, it, it breached so many things. And I'm you're like, listen here, you. There is no way that I that I I don't ever want to be that kind of patient for right, like to to have to 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 overstep boundaries. I know, like when I'm. But when you're saying death was on the other side of the pain. It was that extreme. It was that, that, and it it only lasted for about uh, maybe 30 seconds and it was over. Um, It wasn't like I was at in in that level of pain continuously. So it was just an acute episode, but I knew something happened in my body. Right. Um, And, and so that, that was hours. It had been hours since that episode transpired by the time I got on the phone, but because of that power dynamic and because I knew what was happening between a doctor and a nurse, I, I then overstepped a boundary for sure. I don't, I don't deny well, that. Did you, did you overstep I, I, the boundary? You advocated for yourself. I, I, it was, cause I can think about like, 
you know, if I were on the receiving end of that, like if a doctor got on, got on the phone with me, I'd be like, what's going on? You know, but I, I have, I mean, hopefully that would never have to happen because I feel like I have a, a different approach to, to patients in general. But anyway, I got on the phone and I was like, listen, this is what happened. I, I had this level of pain. It was stable. It was controlled. This happened and there was no subsequent follow-up, right? There was no subsequent like investigation. I just laid it out like that. I didn't even say you need to do this. You need to, I just laid it, laid the facts out that I knew that like, that as would a, get as a doctor moving, listening to moving. it, she would understand that there is a legal implication in there, right? Like yeah. there was a degree of, you know, st stability, something changed, nothing was done about it, right? And so then I got a stat, uh, um, imaging stat imaging was ordered and ended up showing that I in fact had like, you know, blood clot that went into uh, a part of, you know, a not to get yeah, abdomen, yeah. or details yeah. of it, but basically I had to go to emergency surgery with by by 530 or 630am the next morning. Wow. Right. I got a call in the, the baby. middle of the night, basically, yeah. like uh, from, well, it wasn't a call, but the nurse came in in the middle of the night and was like, uh, so this is gonna, this is what's happening. Um, but yeah, all of that, you know, it, it, it was only because, so this is just to speak to the, that exact scenario of what you're describing of like uh, needing to sometimes just lay things out in a way um, it shouldn't ha it shouldn't take that much. And, and there are yeah. the majority of people don't have the knowledge, the platform, you name it, to, to be able to advocate for themselves in that way. And this um, is exactly yeah. the problem of why should you have to be that articulate to do that? Yeah. And yeah. I remember, again, you I was in this scenario where I was listening. I went to visit a woman who just had a baby and she was in tears. And I said, oh, what's the matter? And she said, oh, um, I'm just listening to the doctor and the patient next door. And they're offering her all of these services. And she's like, and they came in and just gave me the once over and off they went on their merry way. She's like, why wasn't I offered this and this and that and that? And look, maybe the other woman had a clinical need for it, but the point yeah. is the person felt unheard. They felt looked over and they were attributing it to their race and how they looked and the fact they, they appeared as though they couldn't speak English very well when they did. And it just, I think for me, and part of the reason why I think advocacy has played such a huge role in my life is that, you know, when it comes to health, probably one of the most important tools in the toolkit is being listened to. And sometimes it's as simple as saying, you know, as a patient saying, I don't feel like I'm being listened to. Can you please document that? Um, I'm, yes. I'm requesting for something that you're refusing. Can you please document your refusal? And mm -hmm. so like that, I mean, that's one strategy. There's so many others. Maybe we should talk about them too. But like, Absolutely, how is it that yeah. you can try and get I, yourself heard? Absolutely. Yeah. I think what you're taught, what you're speaking to is just like leveling literally. I mean, obviously, of course, when there are titles involved, there is an inherent power dynamic that happens, but leveling from, you know, just one person having a human experience to another in that obviously people don't want bad things to happen for themselves. Right. And so, for for a patient it's maybe you know a bad thing is something physical for for the practitioner it's you know some legal implication or something that it yeah. not necessarily even having to go that far just you know something a decision that they made that affected someone's life in a yeah. significant yeah. way right um and so when you when you can just level the playing field a bit mm. right yeah. and, and you know i think asking things to be documented are really important even just speaking to the fact that just saying those words, like, I don't feel like you're hearing me. That's, hmm. that's right. That's a big, 
that's big because most people will not say that. And so, and so, you know, practitioners can feel even more emboldened to just steam, steamroll and bulldoze yep. through like, you yep. know, I mean, I, I, I get it. Like, I mean, I know what that feels like when you only have a certain toolbox and things are not coming, they're coming up short and you just you mm -hmm. don't, literally don't know where to go. And so yeah. in order to get to the, you know, the next step of things, whether it's like passing, passing it off to a specialist or yeah. right. Because people, it, you have to you essentially have to do something or something. It, it's, I mean, it can end up doing more harm, unfortunately, but sometimes, you know, giving medications that are not necessary just to sort of satisfy. And there, there, that actually, that they're, they're, that's two-sided, let me be fair, because there's also expectations, at least in the American model of, of medicine, that, you know, if you go to your doctor, you're expecting something, right? Like, you, because for a long time, people were, were told that you're deficient of something and mm. you need a medicine, right? Like, th that was a big part of the rhetoric. And, and even if it were subtle, subtly, it was, that message was received by the majority. And so... But you're paying for your services too. You pay for doctors, so you pay. You expect something back, you like as in, and this so that's it's two way in that way. But it, I mean, you know, we take an oath when we graduate from medical education to first do no harm, the Hippocratic oath, mm. right? And so, there's a lot to be questioned in there about, you know, just for the sake of bringing some sort of resolution or conclusion mm. to an issue going on, taking the easy way out, right? Not necessarily yeah. doing the extra work needed to listen longer or, you know, in a different way or in, uh, consider other aspects that aren't usually considered in, in the, the traditional model um, yep. to actually get at a potential root cause as opposed to, you know, masking a symptom. But I mean, that, if I'm going to be honest, there there is an expectation that people have of, you know, a lot of people don't necessarily want to endeavor to do the work, right, to do the actual day in, day out of what it's going to take to restore their health. Uh, mm. And it has to do with the, the, the temperature, the environment that we live in and, and our understanding yep. of health yep. is just something that it should just be. It, you shouldn't necessarily really have to work for it. And if something goes wrong, you should be able to take, a, to take something to fix it and not necessarily like have to consider maybe there's something about how I'm living that's contributing to like, maybe I did need to change how I'm living or change how I'm thinking or because mm. that takes real work. And, and when we live in a, a, an environment where you can take a pill for this and you can, you know, just do, mm. just eat this way or just exercise this way. And it makes yeah. it seem a lot more simple than it actually is. I think is. it comes back to that again. I think for me, like what I'm hearing is that listening, like if your doctor's yeah. not listening to you, you're not listening yeah. to yourself and you know, your listening is being questioned. I think that's a huge one. And part of me wonders like whether this episode should be like, what do you do? And then the other part of me thinks, well, is it just about holding space for people who maybe haven't been listened to, who haven't been heard, who's had these experiences and thought, wow, I wish someone actually listened to me. Um, Absolutely. and, you know, and maybe yeah. recognize that you're not alone. You know, if yeah. you've experienced a situation where you've faced not just a medical healthcare professional, where you've gone into therapy, for example, and your psychologist, you know, again, I've said this in the past, but, you know, and this was most recent where one client of mine that I see was like, I knew my therapist was wrong for me when she told me that 
I need to create boundaries with my family by moving out. And she's yeah. like, that's never going to happen. I'm not moving yeah. out. So how, how am I going to do this? And so it's right. about, I think sometimes when we miss out on that listening, then we start to exacerbate all these other problems. And so yeah. if you're not listening to the patient, why should the patient be listening? That's I guess right. to you or to themselves. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's going to be something I, that we I need to see navigate. That. Yeah. That two way street there. Yeah. Well, I How think do- we are, just about out of time for this episode. We should probably, you know, wrap things up for, for this episode. And I mean, I think there's still more here that we need to dissect. Um, so I think if, what, how do you feel about just, you know, continuing, um, on the same topic in episode five? Yeah. Well, I want to continue this conversation on chat. I want to hear from people in terms Absolutely. of maybe when they haven't been listened to, tell us about your, tell us your story. Like there are so many mm-hmm. stories that haven't been heard. We could, we could go on and on about this. Oh God, I yeah. want to hear what yeah. your experience has been like when you weren't listened to, what was the circumstance? What was the resolution? Did you get your way or did you sit with it until you've got the opportunity to type about it now? Tell us wherever you are in the world, we want to hear your stories because we know that they're definitely not just ours. Certainly. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. We hope to see you in episode five where we'll continue this conversation about the experience of, of, you know, not being heard in in various aspects of living, but especially as it relates to health and wellness. Uh, Until then, I'm Dr. G. I'm Mm -hmm. Tolta, the psychologist. We'll see you soon. (laughs)